0: Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week, we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. I want to paint a picture, just a a giant cosmic picture today. And just, I'm excited. I'm excited to do it. So, before we begin... We just had the amazing Parsha of miracles, the splitting of the Red Sea and the falling of manna from heaven, the bread from heaven. Anyway, there's so many miracles to discuss, and and I want to tell you a personal miracle story that happened to me this week. Over the years, and I'm talking about decades now, literally decades I've printed out so many divrei Torah over the internet and just have pages and hundreds of pages and boxes and boxes. Right now we're doing a little work on the house and literally, I'm not even exaggerating, every single room of the house is piled with boxes. And so it's just, everything is upside down. It's a total mess. The other day, my my wife handed me two folded over pieces of paper and she said, these are Torahs from Reb Shlomo. So I've printed hundreds and hundreds of pages of Rabbi Shlomo Karlovach Torahs over the years. Anyway, she handed me this couple of pages, and and I got to my office, and I was about to put them down on a pile, and I heard this sort of accusatory voice in my head, in my own voice, that said, you know, you call yourself a chassid, you know, a, a student of, of your Rebbe, and here you've just been handed some Torah from him, and you just put it in a pile, like it was totally meaningless. And, and I... You know, I, I heard the voice in my head. I agreed with it, that this was not the proper behavior. And I sat down, I opened up the pages, and I looked at them. And believe it or not, believe it or not, they were Torahs about Parsha's B'Shalach and Tubishvat, which is this, this week's Parsha. And then I looked again, and they were from 22 years ago. Can you imagine from 22 years ago? And that was just amazing. And anyway, life being what it is, like these miracles happen. I always mean to write these things down. I haven't started doing that that yet formally. But I have to. I'll tell you why. Because later in the day, I forgot it even happened. And I was dropping my daughter off someplace and... It was about 10 hours later. And I started remembering and thinking about it again. And I, and I thought, wow, Tu, tu-, tu- you know, my son was born on Tubishvat. And these were tours about Tubishvat. And then I remember these papers were, were from 22 years ago. And it's like, I was thinking, wait a second, my son is 22. <laughs> and I came back and I checked the pages. Now, this is even crazier because I haven't seen my son in months, he just flew back into town. And he showed me a date on the bottom of the pages. And it was his birthday, as in the day he was born. These were printed out. Right? Can you imagine? From 22 years ago, I printed these Torahs out the day he was born, and they were handed to me. And I almost just put them in a pile. And I was kind of putting this down, you know, I, I don't know if you you all know this, but I started doing this kind of new series of podcasts. And I send them out Friday morning. I'll try to send them out Thursday for people who are in different parts of the world who can't listen to them before Shabbos, just a short thing on the on the coming Shabbos. And so I wanted to tell the story. So I was putting it down. And then I was rushing to shul in the morning, it was early Friday morning, and my son was there and he was going to come with me. And You know, it took him a few extra minutes to get ready. And I'm standing by the door. I've just told this story and I'm getting impatient. (laughs) And I thought to myself, "How how can I be getting impatient? Like, God has just shown me every detail, every detail of the universe he runs. And so if I'm waiting by the door, this is also his will that I should be waiting right now. Oh, wow. Wow. You know, we think that when things go our way, those are the miracles. But even when things don't go our way, those are also miracles. Because that's God's will manifest in the moment. And so now let me tell you what these pages said, okay? There were Rebbe Nachman Torahs on these pages. And it's amazing because my, my son is all about Rebbe Nachman. And here I printed these pages the day he was born. And they're all Rebbe Nachman Tars. Can you imagine? Could have been about anything. And what Rebbe Nachman was saying was that on two bishva, it's a special fixing for eating from the tree of knowledge, from Adam and Eve eating from the tree of knowledge. Now, listen to this. All the Rebbes say that as much as God said, don't eat from the tree of knowledge, and while that was 100% true, we were destined to be able to eat from the tree of knowledge. A lot of people don't know that. But we were going to have to wait until Shabbos, okay? So, And then I also heard it put another way, that, that we were going to have the opportunity to eat from the tree of knowledge, but first we had to eat from the tree of life, and now that's that's very very significant because there are a lot of people who know so many things they're they're great intellects you know but they haven't experienced life you know sometimes people put it they say you know he's book smart and usually they they mean that as an insult or as a criticism book smart meaning that you know He can get an A on an exam, but, you know, the the person can't even have a conversation, (laughs) doesn't even know how to express empathy with another person. You know, so, so the idea is before a person masters, quote unquote, information, first they have to really understand life. And that's the problem. And that's such a compelling description of humanity, and the flaws in humanity today that we ate from the tree of knowledge before we ate from the tree of life, right? You know, I heard one of the differences between men and women. It's in that book. Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. (laughs) I think I got that right. Maybe it's the other way around, but whatever it is, they say that sometimes when a man listens to a woman, all he's trying to do is to fix the problems that he's hearing as opposed to just listening. Sometimes you just have to listen, right? And that's, that's just that empathy is the fixing itself as opposed to do this, do that, do this, do that. And from the male point of view, it's, it's coming from a very, very positive faith, very, very positive place. They see something broken and they, they are trying their best to fix it. But I think maybe sometimes that's just heard as criticisms. I don't know. I'm just speculating. Sort of like, do this, do that, as though had I been doing this, and had I been doing that, I wouldn't be experiencing this. Therefore, I blew it, right? So, so here the person's trying to help, and the other person only feels, like, diminished by the help, like, that's not a great situation. So, so sometimes just listening. I'll give you the, the I'll give you the other side of that, right? You know, everything has another side, and you have to know when to display which. So, I heard a story about a rabbi, and someone told him his problems, and he said, "Oi," and the other person said, "You know." I don't need an oi. I need some, <laughs> I need you to roll up your sleeves and to actually help me fix this. So what's that side of it? Sometimes people are just compassionate when they can actually do more. So, you know, it's a great balance. You know, it's this is, this is the art of being a human being and it's ongoing and all the fine tuning till our last breath. But you'll never go wrong starting with just listening and being a friend and being compassionate. But then don't think that that totally lets you off the hook. If you can actually do something practical to help the person, then then that's important too. Okay, so now let's get back to this idea that tubishvat is the fixing from eating from the tree of knowledge. Now we have a concept about tubishvat which is, it's the new year for trees. When is the birthday of a tree? (laughs) So, you know, the the genius of the rabbis is that they defined everything. You see, so much of life gets loosey-goosey, which is like, you know, it just depends on how you look at it, right? Well, you look at it one way and I look at it another way. But the Torah actually says there's an objective way to look at reality. This is why the Torah is so fabulously complex and so fabulously authoritative. Because we say, no, you know, you know what? We gave this a lot of thought and we looked at it from every single side and we looked at it with an open heart and with divine guidance. And this is actually how it is. You know, wow, <laughs> that's, that's amazing. That is amazing. I'll tell you something in terms of my own personal journey. Rabbi Shlomo Schwartz, a.k.a. Schwartzy, all of shalom, you should rest in peace. I remember I took a a class early in my kind of spiritual journey with him. And I remember just sitting at a table full of people and he was kind of giving over some, some ideas. And he said, yeah, and this is why God created the world, because of And then he finished his thought. And I remember sitting there with my jaw dropping, thinking, he just explained as an aside why God created the world? Like, we have such a thorough knowledge of, like, reality that as a side point, you could just say, oh, and by the way, this is why God created the world. And then I'm on to the next point. But that's Torah. That is... That's Torah. That's why Torah is so awesome. And so absolutely like comprehensive because it's addressing every aspect of everything. So so the question is, you can plant a tree 365 days of the year, but is there actually an objective birthday for trees in general? And the answer is yes. Tupeshvah the 15th day of the month of Shvat. Okay, so we can get into the depths of what is Tu Bishvat, but let me just throw one idea at you, which is that in the month of Shvat, Moshe, right, the greatest prophet ever, the greatest prophet who ever lived and who will ever live. Remember, the Mashiach, will be greater in other ways, but not prophecy. Moshe remains the greatest prophet ever and in the future as well. When did Moshe start saying over Sefer Devarim, also known as Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the five books of Moses, on the first day of the month of Shvat? Now, believe it or not, there's a debate in the Talmud, when does the birthday of trees. When does the new year of trees begin? And there are two opinions. One is the first day of the month of Shvat. Oh, that's interesting. That's when Moshe started saying over the last book of the Torah, which is a review of the entirety of the Torah, which he himself said through divine prophecy. In other words, Sefer Devarim is different from the other four books in that In that, Moshe was just dictating the word of God, right? He was just writing down. God was dictating to him, like letter by letter, what Moshe should write down. In the fifth book, Moshe receives such a wild degree of like climactic prophecy because he's saying it on the last days of his life. And he's reviewing the entire experience of the Jewish people through the desert and everything like that. And interestingly, it's the only book of the Torah that begins with the letter Aleph, right? Aleph is the first word, first letter of the Aleph bays. Aleph stands for the number one, as in the oneness of God, right? And if you break it down, it's actually got three letters: the letter Aleph, two Yuds and a Vav, which add up to twenty-six, which is the gematri of the Yudke Vavke, God's holiest name. So it shows you that Moshe was tuning into the, like the highest, highest levels when he was saying over Sefer Devarim. But here's the question everyone always asks, and I heard in the name of the Barbanel, the most fabulous, fabulous, simple answer, right? When you hear it, you understand immediately that this is truth. You ready? The question is, if Moshe said over the fifth book of the Torah, how does it have the status of this other four books of the Torah, which were the direct word of God? And which Moshe then wrote down, right, accurately, with perfect accuracy. And the answer is because after Moshe said it, God said, good, now write it down. So do you understand how they're now both true, how Moshe said it, and then yet it is the word of God because God said, good, now write it down. And so now it becomes the word of God as well. So that's, I just love the elegance of that. It's so fabulous. But what I'm trying to tell you right now is that Moshe started saying over this book, which is just shows you the, really, it's an example of the ultimate evolution and perfection of the human being. Because Moshe is achieving these levels of prophecy, which are just beyond, 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 beyond. And it's in the month of Shvat, Interestingly, Do you know what the Torah Zodiac sign is for the Jewish people? In other words, the Jewish people also have a Zodiac sign. Do you know what it is? It's Aquarius, which is the Zodiac sign of the month of Shvat. right? In other words, this is like the headquarters where the Jewish people sort of like reach like this climactic level of synchronicity with the word of God. And the Torah itself. And why Aquarius? Because Aquarius is the water drawer, and the Torah is compared to water. And so the Jewish people are drawing water, which means that we're drawing Torah. And so you see all of these things coming together. But again, we're getting back to this idea of how tubishvat is a fixing from the tree of, for eating for the tree of knowledge. Okay. Now let's get back to this idea of birthdays. If you plant a tree on the 14th day of the month of Shvat, do you know what happens on the 15th day of the month of Shvat? That tree turns one year old. Isn't that interesting. <laughs> you planted it one day ago, but you planted it in the previous year. Now, once that 24 hours passes and you're on the 15th day, which is the new year, all of a sudden it's one year old. If you want a contemporary way of understanding this idea, think of the way the tax system works, say in the United States. On December 31st, you can finish making donations And then one day later becomes January 1st of the next year. And you've got a clean slate with everything. Everything starts anew because it's a brand new year. We have something called Orla, a mitzvah called Orla, which means that you have to wait for three years before you can eat from the fruit tree, which is very interesting because normally speaking, Most agricultural mitzvahs just apply in the land of Israel. But this is an example of one which is so universal that it applies outside of Israel as well. So in Los Angeles, if you plant a lemon tree, let's say, you have to wait three years, and then the fourth year you can eat from the fruit of the tree. Okay. So... That mitzvah is called Orla. And you see, you have to wait. You have to wait. All right, now let's begin to tie together all these thoughts. What did Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve, what didn't they do? They were given this mitzvah, don't eat from the tree of knowledge. And what didn't they do? Well, they didn't wait. They didn't wait. And now, how is Tubishvat coming to fix everything? Because Tubishvat is that day, the years pass, right? Where you're finally able to eat from the tree. Because once that fourth Tubishvat comes, you can now eat from the tree. So Tubishvat is fixing this idea that we didn't wait. And allows us to wait now. Isn't that divine? Isn't that amazing? Now, Rabbi Nachman goes further. Listen to this. He says there are three categories that human beings have the most trouble mastering. And you know something? They all have to do with waiting. You know what they are? Listen to this. Food, sex, and money. Isn't that interesting? The three hardest things for a person to master. And very interestingly, the three things that really require waiting. Right? Food. Ah, I'm so hungry. (laughs) I'm so, I want to eat right now, but I'm on a diet, but I really want to eat right now. That idea of waiting when it comes to food. When it comes to intimacy, very hard. Got to wait, got to wait. When it comes to money, why isn't the phone ringing? Where's my livelihood? Where's that job? I need it. So hard to wait. So mastering that idea of waiting. And the amazing thing is, it could be, it could be that Adam and Chava thought they're never going to be able to get it. And yet it's so interesting, isn't it? That come Shabbos, they were going to be able to have it. And that the fixing, the fixing is eating from the tree of life before eating from the tree of knowledge. Because when we really taste life, we understand that we don't know. And you know, sometimes not knowing is the biggest frustration in the entire world. But you know what, on a deeper level, understanding that you don't know and reconciling yourself with, there are things I'm just never gonna know, is the deepest healing. It's funny, isn't it? I wanna know, I wanna know, why, 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 why? It's killing me. And yet, When I can actually get to that place of not knowing, I never feel more whole. I never feel more complete. Because it's the MS. It's the truth. Because God is beyond, 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 beyond. And the only way that I can fully connect to the extent that I can fully connect is by harnessing this idea of not knowing And it being a source of simcha, because I realize, wow, I can never know because God is so infinite. And that gives me pleasure that I'm connecting to the infinite one. Remember, the Kutzke Rebbe says, one of the most joyous days of the entire year is Simcha's Torah. And we're finishing the Torah. So so the Kutzke Rebbe says, why are we so happy? And he says, you know why we're so happy? Because we've gotten to the end of the Torah and we realize we haven't even begun it yet. (laughs) In other words, the happiness of Silchot's Torah, the the dancing and the celebrating and the, the joy of it, isn't coming from finishing it. It's coming from the idea of knowing that we're never going to finish it because it's infinite. And we're attaching ourselves to the infinite one who will never fully know. And that's the source of joy. So it's a high level. But let me just throw it out just as a concept because unless we hear this concept, we we will never arrive at it intuitively probably, which is enjoying waiting. Learning how to enjoy waiting. Like... Who would ever think of that? (laughs) But let me tell you how to learn how to enjoy waiting by reveling in not knowing. That's the secret. That's how you do it, in reveling in not knowing. So, really, to wait really means to trust. And what does it mean to trust? Think about it this way. Trust is an acknowledgement that I don't have all of the power. And that is a very humbling and difficult act. And I heard the following teaching that I thought was really interesting. The word for livelihood in Hebrew is parnosa. Now, parnosa can be broken down into, say, two words par par means difficult like paro like pharaoh and then nase par nosa do you hear the word nace in there nase is hebrew for miracle so listen to something sort of very surprising when you break down the word like that it means that receiving one's livelihood livelihood right is a difficult miracle Now, let's break that down because that makes us ask two questions. One is, who is it difficult for? It's not difficult for God because everything's easy for God. And it's not difficult for man. It's impossible for man. (laughs) In other words, we couldn't even do it if we tried. So then who is it difficult for? So now listen to this answer. It's difficult for people to believe that God is going to do it. And that is another expression of just how challenging it is to wait and how challenging it is to trust. And, you know, it all boils down to something that that just will never escape because until a person addresses this particular issue in their life, they will never be able to get to the root of their relationship and their closeness with God. And that is total, complete belief in the goodness of God. And, you know, the way I heard it said by Gedalia Fenster, God is not doing it to you. He's doing it for you. And if you can just say that in your life, when things get difficult, say it to yourself, God is not doing this to me. He's doing this for me. Then you've got a very clean and easy way to access this idea of the goodness of God. And then you can turn waiting into trust. And then you can even get to this exalted place of enjoying the waiting. So Orla normally is a physical blockage when a boy of eight days is circumcised and the little piece of skin is cut off his body, that is called orla, the piece that's cut off. It's a barrier, it's a blockage, it has to be removed. And on a deeper level, it's the idea that that we're partners with God in terms of finishing the world, okay? That God leaves some work for us to do. That in itself is amazing because do you think that God... M- made this fabulously complex, infinitely complex thing called a human being. And it's like, ah, I forgot to take that little piece of skin off. (laughs) Okay, do me a solid, Jewish people, and just clip off that little piece because I got a couple of calls and it just slipped my mind. And then I made the guy already. And believe me, that wasn't it. Believe me, that wasn't it. So it's by design that God makes us partners with him in terms of removing this barrier. But there's something I think even more profound than this piece of skin on a man, right? And this applies to men and women alike. And this is right in the Torah itself, that there is an orla around our hearts. There's this blockage, this barrier around our hearts that God tells us to remove. Not only that, but he says, if you don't remove them, I'm going to remove them. And this is the next step in the evolution of humanity, that we're going to have this blockage around our hearts removed. And then in terms of the mind and the heart finally being able to get together and the sensory perception that we're going to have is going to be unbelievable. It's going to be off the charts, right? Other dimensional. but But we have to take that step. Okay, so... So that's also Orla. Now, now listen to this. There is, usually now, we think of Orla, right? Like the the skin around our hearts, the skin on a, a man's body. We think of Orla as a physical thing. But what did we just say earlier in terms of the tree? That the first three years are Orla. In other words, Orla exists in the dimension of time, not just space. Isn't that interesting? There's an idea of a barrier in time. In other words, what is separating us from the Messianic era right now? <laughs> there is an Orla in the world. <laughs> there is this force field stopping us from this next stage in terms of the evolution of humanity. And now listen to this. When you remove the orla, when we remove the orlas from around our hearts, that orla that exists in time is going to go away. And Rav Fromer, the Eretzvi, says it this way. He gets even more intergalactic about it. You ready for this? In terms of map making, like the cartography of the cosmos, you have earth below and this thing that we call Gehenem, which is translated as hell, but it's a different concept. There's similarities, but it's not hell as they discuss in other religions. Gehenem is above the earth, and then above that is heaven, Shemayim. Okay, so you have earth below, Gehenna above the earth, and Shemayim, heaven, above the rest. Every soul that leaves a body in this world has to pass through Gehenna on the way to heaven, on the way to Shemayim. Now, those who rectify their actions in this world zip through Gehenna. Gehenna is a place of soul cleansing. It's like the holy dry cleaners. But if you got yourself clean in this world by keeping the mitzvahs, by doing tshuva, repairing whatever you needed to repair, then there's nothing to fix. Those who don't, then that's a more intense process for them. So, Rob Frumer, the Eretzvi, says something unbelievable. You ready for this? You think we stopped talking about Orla? We didn't stop talking about Orla. He says, do you know what Gehenim is? Gehenim is the orla around Shemayim. (laughs) Did you hear that? It's the blockage around Shemayim, around heaven. And now he says, if you get rid of the orla around your heart, you get rid of the orla around Shemayim. So that, if you get rid of that blockage around your heart, then there's nothing stopping your soul from ascending straight into heaven because you got rid of that blockage Isn't that unbelievable, unbelievable right tu every year, believe it or not, comes when we read about the splitting of the Red Sea now what's so interesting about that is that you've got probably the greatest miracle in the entire Torah, the most open, like, nature-defying miracle in the world, coming at the same time that we celebrate nature itself. I mean, what's more natural than you plant a seed, and you water it, and you wait, and the sun shines, and then something pokes through the ground, and you wait a lot of years? It's the natural order. And so isn't it amazing that God aligns the calendar to show you that the greatest open miracles and the greatest hidden miracles, the natural order itself, are absolutely one and the same. They're all open miracles. <laughs> They're all miracles. The growing of a tree, the blossoming of fruit is no less a miracle than the splitting of the Red Sea. And that's why Tu And the splitting of the Red Sea and the Torah are always coming together. You know, I put it this way once. Can you imagine you're kind of just doing some work? You've got a pencil at your desk. You're writing a couple of things down on a piece of paper. You leave the room and you come back. And growing out of your pencil are five juicy grapefruits you're like, wait a second, how did this happen? There are five juicy grapefruits coming out of my pencil. But can I ask you something? Is there anything less miraculous? I mean, what is a pencil? It's a piece of wood. What is a tree? It's a piece of wood. You know, we have something in genetics that the child looks more or less like the parent But does a juicy fruit look anything like a piece of wood? (laughs) How did one thing come out of the other? What's drier than a piece of wood? What's juicier than a juice orange? For goodness sakes, it's called a juice orange because it's so juicy. God plays a joke slash trick on us. You know what it is? The element of time because it took so long for that seed to turn into a tree with fruit coming off of it, we think we did it. Or we think, of course, this is what happens. But it's no less fantastical. It's just there's this element of time that tricks us. But if you saw a time-elapse piece of footage of someone planting a tree, And then seconds later, there was a big, giant, tall piece of wood and juicy fruit coming out of that seed. You'd go, oh, that's a miracle. Okay, so now listen to this. When God split the sea, he split all of the heavens also. That's what our Torah teaches us. That the simplest person had a vision of the heavens that was higher than the prophet Yechezkel, of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel saw like like what was going on with the angels in heaven. Okay? Very high level of prophecy. The simplest person at a higher level of prophecy because it wasn't just the sea that split, it was all the heavens that split as well. So let me give it to you another way. Reality was unzipped. Imagine a zipper going up and down, right? It wasn't just the sea that split. Reality itself became unzipped. And we saw that absolutely everything is a miracle. Not just the open miracles themselves, but the workings of the natural order, quote unquote. Everything became unzipped. Now, how can you see miracles around you? Unzip the orla around your heart. Open your heart. Open your heart. Open your heart and you're going to open up everything. You're even going to open up the gateway to heaven. Right? Like we just learned. Okay. So now, I want to talk about man the manna, the bread that fell from heaven. Because, you know, pathways for our livelihood come down. And everybody knows that there's a special sagula, a special blessing that comes down in terms of an opening for livelihood to come down the week that we read about the man falling from the sky. That Tuesday is a very, very famous thing that people do. They read over the passage of the man with the unclose and the rashi and everything like this. You know, it's good to give tzedakah also. And this is a, a blessing for livelihood. So it's correlating with us reading about the mana falling from heaven every year. It's like a new pathway for livelihood to come down to each of us is is revealed, right? Is unzipped, if you will, unclogged. Now, there are many ways that we put blockages around our heart. Some are more obvious and some are less obvious. And now let me talk about one of the less obvious ones. You know, we have certain laws And by the way, the Jewish people are the only ones of all the nations of the world that have these laws, like we have them, which are the laws of purifying your speech, how to talk the things that you can say and talk about and the things that you can't say and talk about. Because we understand and stand in awe in terms of the power of words. And one of the Halachas, one of the laws in terms of purifying one's speech, is that you can't speak and insult yourself. You're not allowed to. And the one who codified these laws in the modern era was the Chofetz Chaim. And there's a famous story about the Chofetz Chaim, where he was sitting with someone and they were on a train, and they were going toward Radin, which was the name of the town that the Chofetz Chaim, you know, was a great, great tzaddik, lived. And the person who he was sitting next to, you know, they started talking. And the person, he, the Chofetz Chaim, I guess, asked him, you know, where he was going. And he said to Radin, and he said, why are you going to Radin? And he said, because I want to see the great Chofetz Chaim. Now, he didn't realize that he was talking to him at the time. And the Chofetz Chaim was very, very humble. And he said, you know, like, What's so great about the Chovitz Chaim? And it was he—he he, he was being humble, and the person said, "Well, you know, how how can you talk about the Chovitz Chaim that way?" This person was sort of like, like outraged with him, and it came to the point where the person slapped the Chovitz Chaim across the face for speaking against the Chovitz Chaim. <laughs> And when they got to the train station, there was a throng of people who had gathered to meet the Chofetz Chaim and to receive him, you know, with the honor due, a a Torah master. And the person realized with total shock that he had slapped the Chofetz Chaim across the, the face. And he Begged him for forgiveness, and the Chofetz Chaim said, "You know something, you were right because he said the I broke the halacha. I wasn't allowed to speak about myself the way I was speaking about myself. Isn't that interesting? So, maybe you don't think much of yourself. A lot of us sadly fall into that category. But you know what? You're a piece of God." And if you don't want to honor yourself for yourself, you have to honor the godliness that's in you at least. And if you begin to have that recognition that there's godliness within you, remember, man is not God, but there is godliness in man. Man is not God, but there's a divine soul that God puts us puts into us. Remember, because there are religions that go completely off the track with this idea. They blow it, basically. So I'm going to say it one more time. Man is not God. But God puts a little piece of himself called our soul inside of us. And so we have something powerful and great within us. We're not God. We're not God. But we have divinity within ourselves. And that's the first step to recognizing your true greatness and to treating yourself with the honor that you're mandated to treat yourself. It's not your option. It's not your option. You know, I'll tell you a related thought, interesting thought. A person's face is considered part of the public domain. So if you walk around with a frown and a scowl on your face, that is like spraying paper. That is like spraying graffiti on a billboard, like defacing public property. Your face is actually public property. So you say, well, I'm in a bad mood and I get to control my bad mood and that's my business. And if you don't like it, don't look at me. But wait a second, your face is in the public domain. So we, we, we tend to think about all these decisions, how I want to think about myself, how I want to speak about myself, as our own private decisions. Well, yes and no. It's a little more complicated than that. If you actually have divinity within yourself, then you know what? Maybe you don't have 100% license to talk to yourself that way or to talk about yourself that way. That's what the Torah says. Okay, so now this is just an introduction to an unbelievable thought, and it's from the Ishbitzer Rebbe, the Meir Shluch, and it goes like this. And it's about the man, the man that fell. So everybody knows, the Torah says that anyone who left over man for the next day, because remember, it only fell one day's worth of food at a time. And it did this for 40 years. This is awesome. And it was because God wanted to instill this incredibly high level of trust in God in the Jewish people for all time. Right, because when there's no bread in the basket, how am I supposed to feel about what's coming the next day? Am I anxious? Am I anxious? Am I going crazy? Or do I say, you know something? The bread came down every single day. And God did this by design to teach this like otherworldly level of reliance on him that he was planting within the Jewish people. Something unbelievable. Unbelievable. Okay. Now, we know that on Friday, we got a double portion because that was for Shabbos. Because on Shabbos, it didn't fall. And and so we had our food. That's, that's one of the reasons why, you know, till this day, you do all of your cooking before Shabbos starts, right? Because Shabbos is like a little bit of the Garden of Eden where everything was prepared. And so that's the idea. That's the idea that you go into Shabbos with all of, your, all of your meals already prepared. So you don't have to worry on Shabbos. You can just rest and relax and enjoy. Okay. Now, the Torah talks about how do I really know it's going to come down the next day. Let me be smart about this. I'll take a little piece off and I'll save it for the next day. So what happened when you did that? Worms got into it the next day, and it became rotten. Which is fascinating, right? So again, God wanted to teach us reliance. All right, now let me tell you what the Yishpitzer Rebbe says, because he uncovers a phenomenal depths in this. You ready? He says the people who set aside a little bit for the next day had no problem with belief whatsoever. They believed with all of their heart that God was going to bring down manna for everyone else the next day. But they felt in their own humility that they weren't worthy. And because they didn't believe in their own worthiness, to receive. That's why they set apart a little bit for the next day. And now listen to this. The Yishpitzer Rebbe says that type of humility is filled with worms and is rotten. You can't have humility like that. Right? What did I just tell you about the Chovitz Chaim? You're not allowed to speak against yourself. The Ishpitzer Rebbe says, you know something? If you believe that it's going to come down for everybody else, you have to believe it's going to come down for you too. That's amazing. That's amazing. And this is what I'm talking about, the less well-known ideas about how we put Orla around our heart, blockages around our heart, when we don't appreciate our own worthiness. Now, I want to add to this Ishbitzor Torah. So, interestingly, the gematri of the word man, memnun, is 90. Now, I say that's interesting because it's not 91, it's just 90. But 91 is a very, very big number in Torah Hashkafa, Torah philosophy. How so? Because 91 is two divine names added up, two different aspects of God symbolized by these two different names added up. It's the Yudke Vavke, which adds up to 26. That name expresses the infinite aspect of God. We're only talking about Hashem, the one true God. We're only talking about Him. But there are different divine names which talk about different aspects of the one true God. Then we have another name that's called Adnus, Aleph, Dalad, Nun, and Yud. That adds up to 65. And that's how God runs the world within boundaries, within the natural order. So now if you talk about the infinity of God, that name, and you talk about God running the world through the laws of nature, that's a really interesting combination, right? I'll put it in a more snappy way. That's God who's the master of heaven and earth. Okay, so those two divine names that express this idea of God who is the master of everything within the natural order and everything beyond the natural order, the miraculous, that is the number 91. Okay. So now man which is the miraculous, that's bread coming from heaven. It's actually crystallized light, okay? That's how the Ramban explains Rabbi Akiva's opinion in in Gomorrah Yuma, in the Talmud, okay? Crystallized light, that's what we were eating. So that's from the infinite realms down to the earthly realms because we could gather it and we could actually eat it. It's these two things coming together. But you know what? It only adds up to 90, not 91. So I want to say the following. You have to say that you yourself are worthy. You have to add yourself. That's the one. And when you add your one to the man, meaning to say that I'm worthy for it to fall for me also, then you put heaven and earth together. Okay.